this is Drew Dixon from Love Thy Nerd. I am the chief content nerd at Love Thy Nerd, which just means I oversee our website content. And uh, I am going to be checking in with you once a week or so to do what we're calling the Bible Thump, which is not nearly as painful as it sounds or weird as it sounds. Um, you may have heard that term before, but it's this idea that like there's Bible thumpers out there like... Um, like thumping you, whacking you with a Bible because you're not like doing what it says or something. Like you, um, you know, slow danced a little too close with your girlfriend or something, um, and you get whacked with a Bible, right? You need to leave room for the Holy Spirit, that kind of thing. That's not what I'm going to do. Um, my hope with these is to encourage you to open up the Bible with you really quick and just encourage you from the scriptures. Um, the whole point of Love Thy Nerd is to be the love of Jesus to nerds and nerd culture. So, hey, nerd out there listening to this, if there's anything we want you to know as Love Thy Nerd, it's this. Jesus loves you, nerd. You hear us say that all the time, and it's because we believe it's true. But I want to dig a little bit deeper than just telling you Jesus loves you. This is an opportunity for us to look into the Bible and see the life-giving hope and truth that we can find within. So, Today, I want to ask you a really simple but crucial question that every human being asks themselves, at least at some point in their lives, and it's this. Who are you? Who are you? I'm not asking what you do or what you like or even what makes you unique. I think as nerds, a lot of times, we're tempted to define ourselves by our hobbies, right? Like, I'm a, I'm a tabletop gamer. I'm a board gamer. I'm a video gamer. Like, I'm a gamer, or, um, you know, I'm an anime nerd or an otaku or whatever it is, um, a comic nerd, I'm a comic geek, you know, we, we define ourselves by what we do. But that's not what I'm asking when I say, who are you? I want you to consider who you are at the most fundamental level. Who are you at the very core of your being? What is your identity? Dictionary definition of identity is this. Identity is the condition or character as to who a person is, the qualities, beliefs, etc. that distinguish or identify a person. So your identity has to do with how you see yourself and how you see your place in the world around you. And your identity shapes your story. How you view yourself, how you think about your identity, who you are at the most fundamental level is going to directly shape how your life's going to play out. So identity has to do with two questions. Who am I and what is my purpose? Who am I and what is my purpose? One of the cool things about the Bible is that it gives us an answer to both of those questions on page one. Now, you may not like the answer the Bible gives, and you may not agree with it. Um, but the origin story we find in the Bible on page one gives an answer both to who we are and what we're supposed to do. It answers the who and the why. That's pretty cool, I think. The problem that we all run into, however, is that we often answer those questions of who and why in ways that don't really match up with reality. So we create false identities for, ourse for ourselves, identities that don't really compute with God's design, and these inevitably lead to frustration and disappointment. So I can give you an example from my own life. Like one of the identities, quote unquote, one of the hats that I wear as a human being right now is that I'm a husband. I've been married for um, 12 years, and um, it's an identity that's very near and dear to my heart. So it's good for me to think of myself as a husband, but what happens when that becomes the fundamental reality about me? When I think of myself primarily and ultimately as a husband, if I see that as my at, at the very core of my being, that's who I am, what, how am I going to treat 
my spouse, well, I might have expectations of her that are really unfair, right? Um, or what might happen to me, how am I going to think about life and my purpose in the world if my wife were to sadly pass away or leave me, right? We can't control those things. Those things happen in this broken world that we live in. And so um, I'm going to, if that were to happen, I'm going to fall apart, right? If my ultimate identity is as a husband and my wife says, you're not a good husband, I'm done, I'm out of here, um, I'm going to be absolutely devastated. And I'm going to have an identity crisis, right? But there's good news. God is telling a better story and he has a more fundamental identity for all of us that can see us through any situation. And I think to understand who we really are, who we're meant to be, our true identity, or at least to see the Bible's answer to that question about our true identity, we, we've got to go back to the very beginning, basically to page one of the Bible. So on page one of the Bible, in this book called Genesis, Genesis 1-1, we read this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from darkness, and he called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Now let's skip down to Genesis chapter 1, verse 20. So basically like page 2 of the Bible, or if you have a big Bible, it's still on page 1. <laughs> All right, so Genesis 1, verse 20. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters of the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the field, beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over every, over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image and the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed that bears fruit, and you shall have them for food. And every beast of the earth, and every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. So you might read that, and you might hear that, and think, well, how does that answer my identity? How does this answer this ultimate question of who I am, who I'm supposed to be? What is my ultimate purpose in the world? Who am I at the most fundamental level? But I think actually if you were one of the first people to read this passage, and this passage was originally written to Jewish people, um, thousands of years ago, and those people who first read this would have immediately caught on 
to some things about their identity. There's one feature of creation that is set apart from all the others. You, you caught it, didn't you? If you're reading this in Hebrew or reading this as someone who actually lived in the ancient world at the time when this was written, this is one aspect of creation that would really stand out, even more profoundly than it to you than it d- does to us. Um, God made men, women, people, every human being he made in his image. That's who you are. You are an image of the God of creation. That's the way the Bible answers that question of who am I? So that's who you are. You are an image of God. What does it mean then to be an image of God? Well, what do images do? By their very nature, images reflect, right? So when we read that we are images of God, that God made human beings in his image, it means we're intended to reflect God. We're images, pictures, reflections of the God who made us. We exist to reflect the God who created us. We exist to represent him, his character, his goodness, his love, his glory. And according to what we just read, it also means that we rule. <laughs> you rule. Did you know that? That's like a something people used to say. Um, anyway, but I mean, in, in the kingly sense, it means you and I as human beings, we rule and we subdue creation. This is significant for a couple of reasons. First, the concept of the image of God was not a foreign one to people in the ancient world, especially in the ancient Near East. So there were other worldviews around the ancient Israelites, out of which Genesis, which you know, produced Genesis for us, uh, produced the Bible for us. There were other uh, ancient uh, religions, right? Several in Mesopotamia and and Egypt, right? Other Near Eastern cultures like the Babylonians. And all these ancient cultures had a concept of the image of God, but they didn't believe that everybody possessed the image of God. When they heard that term, the image of God, they would immediately think of their kings, the people who ruled over them. In the ancient world, there was one person who bore the image of God in most every human culture, or or that's how people viewed it anyway. They viewed the king or the pharaoh or the emperor as an image bearer of God, and that's how ancient pharaohs and kings of Babylon would would present themselves. They would say, we are the image of God. We're the image bearers of God, right? That's how king would present themselves to his people. Why? Because if you bear God's image, what does everybody else have to do? If you're the representative of God, then everybody else has to bow down to you, right? And some ancient cultures, like the Egyptians, actually viewed their pharaohs, their kings, as gods. So in ancient Egypt, Pharaoh was the image of God and demanded that people worship him. In other words, the concept of the image of God was used by people in power in the ancient world to elevate themselves over everybody else. It was propaganda, right? It was propaganda and it told a story. It told the story that those who bore the image of God are worthy of respect. They're worthy of homage. They're worthy of money, right? You give your money to the king because he's the image of God. And they're worthy even of worship. And you see, this ensured that they remain in power. Because to oppose the king in the ancient world was to oppose God, right? Or the gods. And you didn't want to mess with ancient gods. You see, this idea of the image of God in the ancient world was used to oppress and to keep people down and to elevate the king over everybody else. It was used to put people in their place and hold people down. 
And again, like I said, you don't want to mess with ancient gods. The gods of the ancient world were not super friendly people or super friendly beings. In fact, most ancient Near Eastern cultures believed that the world we know, the world as we know it, arose out of a violent clash between the gods. In fact, there's this ancient origin story that illustrates this. And I want to tell you this story so that we can see how different the story of the Bible is than the story a lot of ancient cultures told, right? It's really quite strikingly different. Um, and you can get a lot of this uh, same kind of idea from watching. I highly recommend you go check out the Bible Project. Um, check out their podcast. Check out um, their videos on Genesis and on um, identity, these sorts of things. So um, you'll get a lot of help from those. But there's this ancient story in the it, it, this ancient story that's sort of considered by a lot of scholars to be parallel to the Bible in the sense that it's another ancient origin story of the universe. And it's, it's called Enuma Elish, Enuma Elish, and it's the Babylonian creation account. And according to this creation account, according to Enuma Elish, before the world as we know it was formed, there was this god called Tiamat, and he's kind of terrible. She, or sorry, she, she was kind of terrible. She was the goddess of chaos and of the sea, and Tiamat creates all these monsters think like Godzilla-type creatures that just wreak havoc all over the earth. And their destruction, the destruction these monsters are causing, that's what creates the mountains and the canyons and so on. But these monsters also forced all the other Babylonian gods into slavery. So all these gods, all the other gods get together, right? Because they've been forced into slavery. They're not happy. And they ask if anyone can do anything about Tiamat, right? Can anyone defeat Tiamat because she's so terrible and ruthless, and they were tired of serving her? And so this god Marduk volunteers to take on Tiamat in single combat. And when the gods agree to Marduk's conditions, and he is selected as their champion against Tiamat, Marduk challenges Tiamat to combat, and, and, and he actually winds up destroying her. He traps her with a net, and he blows her over with a windstorm, and then he pierces her belly with an arrow. And then this is what Marduk does in, in Enuma Elish. Marduk then rips open the corpse of Tiamat, tears it into two halves, and uses the two halves of Tiamat's body to make the earth and the skies. But here's the thing about Marduk. Even though he's the champion of all these gods that were oppressed, he's really not any better than Tiamat. Once Marduk comes to power, he forces the gods who sided with Tiamat into slavery himself. So are you seeing a pattern here? These gods... Um, are freed from slavery when Marduk fights, fights Tiamat's husband, Kingu. And Marduk manages to kill Kingu, right? And when he does, he takes Kingu's blood and the blood of the slain god, the blood of the slain god, and mix it with, mixes it with dirt from the, from the earth to make clay. And then from that clay, he shapes humankind. And you can guess why he made humans, right? Given how the story is gone, you can guess why he made humans. He made them to be slaves of the gods, to work for them so that the gods could live in leisure. So we see this pattern, right? All these ancient and all these other ancient accounts of creation, uh, accounts of the origin of the, of the universe are the same. They're all about these violent clashes between self-serving, um, really prideful gods that are all about their own, their own reputation, Right? They're all about violent, petty, self-serving gods doing violence against one another and using human beings, enslaving them to do their bidding in order to be, in order to be better than the other gods, in order to get ahead of these other gods. Right? And if we think about what the ancient world was like, it makes sense, doesn't it? 
The ancient world was not a happy place. It was dark and violent and self-serving and a difficult world to live in. I mean, maybe not that different from the world we live in now, but this Babylonian creation account tells a story that shaped the stories of countless people in the ancient world because they actually believed it, right? They woke up thinking, my purpose is to be a slave to the gods. Like, that's why I exist. Um, I need to appease the gods so that they're more nice to me and they don't destroy me. But they didn't love their gods. They feared them. They feared them. They were terrified of them. That's why they served the gods. And that shaped their story. Why do I tell you this? Because this is how most people conceived of gods and the creation of people. They saw people as products of violence and products of violent conflict fueled by bitterness, envy, and pride. So, do you see how radically different the story that Genesis 1 tells is from these ancient stories? In a world where there were very few who were believed to be image bearers of God, and where that concept was used to enslave and exploit people and prop up systems of oppression that damaged people, this ancient Hebrew text that we call the Bible says, God made all people, male and female, everyone, every human being, in his own image. And there's no violence in the creation account of the Bible. Instead, God lovingly shapes people out of the dust and bestows on them his own image. And in the ancient world, this would have been seen as a revolutionary concept. In Genesis 2-7, we see this, Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust of the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. So not dirt and blood, like Marduk, but God makes people with dirt and his own divine breath. It's a very intimate picture. This idea of being in God's image is a royal image. Only kings in the ancient world were image bearers. God says, you're a king. He says, you're a queen. He says, you're a prince. You're a princess. You're... That, that's his view of you. You are incredibly valuable to God, according to the story of the Bible. It's a really beautiful, dignified, um, life-giving account of the origin of the universe. Um, and there's so much more to say about it. But this is my very first Bible thump, so I don't want to thump you too hard with too much information. I've already thrown a lot at you, but I just want you to know um, at the outset of the very first Bible thump that we do that you matter greatly to God. You have a royal origin story. And you are of great, great worth. And if you could see that, how might that change the way you see yourself, the way you see your world, and the way you see your place in the world? That's what we're going to unpack in our next Bible Thump. We're going to unpack some of the implications of bearing God's image and how this royal dignity, this royal identity um, changes everything. If you hear anything from me, in this Bible thump, if you and you don't listen to anything else, listen to this last thing that I want to tell you. And this is the last thing I'll say, and we'll close it out. And it's this: Jesus loves you, nerd. <laughs>